And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. It's not too often that we get political here on Startup Hustle. Why? Because this show isn't about politics. This show is about entrepreneurship, but so much about city government and the things that go on around any business have an effect on that business. And that's why I'm excited to have the mayor of Kansas City, Kansas, David Albee, join me today. And we're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff. Now, before we get into that, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. I mentioned I have with me today the mayor of the other Kansas City. For those of you listening all over the world, Kansas City is in Kansas and Missouri. And you've heard me talk about how that creates some very interesting things with and for businesses. But I, let me just go ahead and say, Mayor, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thank you, man. It's, a, it's a great to be here. I look forward to this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation as well. Let's go ahead and get that started with a little bit about your backstory uh, just as a person and what you did on the way to becoming the CEO of Kansas City, Kansas. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, of course, I tell the story that my family has been here since the 1850s. Both my mom's side and my dad's side have been in Wyandotte County since the 1850s. So we have a long history. We actually have a long history of public service in the community. And uh, my great-grandfather, John Gibbs, uh, helped establish the first grade school in the what is now the Turner School District. He actually established the helped establish the first cemetery. Um, my mom's side of the family, they had a butcher shop here on Minnesota Avenue going back into the 1870s. So we go way back, long history of community service, public service, elected officials. And uh, I was uh, I worked in education myself for 27 years here in the Kansas City area primarily. And also served two terms on our Board of Public Utilities, which is a municipally owned utility. Uh, I really enjoy problem solving. I'm not afraid to take on challenges. It it invigorates me. I, I like to engage people in problem solving. How do we make things better? So we, I mentioned the CEO. They actually, you are the chief elected official. That's what that means. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I think more cities and governments would probably benefit from having a CEO rather than a mm. quote like an actual chief executive in many regards, because you're running a business. And that's something that, uh, first off, I valued the uh, input and the patience and the ability to listen as we move down. And for those mm -hmm. of you listening, Full Scale and Startup Hustle recently moved our office to downtown Kansas City, Kansas, and to, uh, on Minnesota Avenue, where my family also had a history. We've done been in and around both my mom and my dad's side in Kansas City since 1870. Yeah. Uh, my mom's great great grandfather was the sheriff of Lesport. Oh, interesting. At one point, I which know that. I mean, it's old school, and yeah, uh, that's part of what made me want to bring my business back down here. But you know, overall, my interaction with you really did feel more like talking to another CEO, and that you do 
look at the business, the economics and all that. And I think that's probably what we should talk about uh, right. first off and foremost. Now, you do have an election coming up. I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> How's that going? You know, it's going well. We're just trying to get our message out. You know, I'm, again, I run on my record that uh, I don't back down from challenges. I try to look at things honestly in a straightforward way. Um, just look at the facts to see what, what the reality is and what can we do with that to make it better. So that reality has probably changed quite a bit. Uh, halfway through your term, you get a pandemic. Yes, that was, uh, no one could have expected that. But again, if you take the approach of, well, this is just something new. All right, let's not be defeated by it. Let's, let's see what our opportunities are to do the best we can with this. And I think we've done that. Really, we've been dependent upon the science to, to give us some indication of what we can and cannot do. Um, tried, I try to stay, keep this depoliticized as much as possible. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. I think viruses don't vote. Right. <laughs> they no. don't choose a side. They're, no. They're, no. They're, they're fairly scientific in that regard. So let's talk about, you know, KCK as, as we refer to it. And once again, you know, we have listeners all over the world. So we have mm -hmm. people listening in 190 countries. And as I have traveled the world myself, people have asked me so many interesting things about Kansas. Uh, I was in Eastern Europe and had someone say, oh, how many cowboys are there? <laughs> I don't know any cowboys, <laughs> but Kansas City, Kansas covers a much larger geographic area than I think a lot of people think about. And you get a lot of different things. So we're here in downtown Kansas City, Kansas, but we have other areas where there's a racetrack. You have casino interests. You have big, big business, small business, a wide variety and diversity of people. Like, how do you approach being a CEO or a mayor of, a, of an area when you have that much going on? Well, again, I just think uh, you listen a lot. Uh, I told people my first couple of years as mayor, uh, if I don't really understand something, uh, I keep my mouth shut. And I was amazed at how often I had to keep silent. And so you let you learn, you pay attention. I didn't come in with a, any particular agenda, except let's just try to solve the problems. Uh, I think we are unique in that we are uh, we experienced a population decline in our community of about 50,000 people over multiple decades. And so what would happen is as people move out, then obviously property values decline that thinned out the tax base. There were fewer uh, households, fewer businesses that could really support uh, the cost of services. And so in frankly, our infrastructure declined, our services declined. And so that again, just kind of perpetuated that movement away. So unless you're investing in your community, trying to make things better, it's like in your business, if you're not investing in new equipment, if you're not fixing the roof on your building, if you're not taking care of those things, then you don't attract people. You, you cannot put forward the, the, your best face uh, if you are not investing in those basic services that businesses and residents deserve and need. So, so much about entrepreneurship is solving problems. Mm -hmm. uh, so is the first step with that when it comes to government or an area or any of that to just simply say, what are the problems? Yes, that's exactly right. I, and I, so I explained to people that the fundamental problem especially of local government, but I would argue for any government, but especially at local government is how do you provide more and better services, uh, more functional services, more efficient services, better services, and not overburden people with cost. It's the same as a product. You can come out with a great product, but if it's too expensive, you're not going to attract any, any buyers. And so you've got to find a way to be efficient and tend to use, you know, your resources. Well, what's the same problem for, for a government, 
Um, and so what we are, what I've really tried to do is say, all right, well, that's the fundamental problem. How do we provide more and better services and not overburden our taxpayers? And so you really then have to say, well, we've only got so many resources. Let's strategically invest those in places that is going to create more growth. So I look, I compare this, let's say General Motors. So General Motors has decided to move away from sedan production because that's not where the profit center is. Profit centers are in trucks and SUVs and larger vehicles, and they're also investing very heavily in, in electric vehicles. So they've already seen where the future is, and they're trying to prepare for that. So they're shifting their resources. They can't continue to produce sedans and do these other things at the same time. They have limited resources, just like anybody does, but they're trying to position themselves for the future and being strategic in those investments. So when I look at what we need to do here in Wyandotte County, I'm really looking to say, where where are we seeing growth in residential property values, in property values in general? Uh, we have some advantages. Uh, obviously, we have advantages our proximity to practically anywhere in the Kansas City metro area. Easy accessibility from practically anywhere. Getting in and out of the neighborhoods is fairly simple. We have actually affordable land. We have uh, 4,500 properties in our land bank that the city controls, and we have to continue to provide service to those, whether it's the water infrastructure, the power infrastructure, sewer infrastructure, uh, public safety. We have to maintain the roads. And there no, if no one is living there, then they're not generating tax revenues to help us defray the cost of that infrastructure. So that is really the fundamental problem. So we can't do a scattershot approach and just throw you know, massive amounts of money out across the community. We need to go to where the market investors are saying they're already rebuilding. They're looking for opportunities. We want to come in and provide the, the, the tailwind for them to support their investments and, and, and confirm those investments, as it were. You mentioned services, and I wanted to take a moment to kind of go back. So you just mentioned like power, heat, light, stuff like that. What are what other quote services does a city government provide to the residents? Right. So the, the two main ones, 60 percent of our budget is for public safety, and that is police protection. Okay. It is fire department, um, emergency medical. That's 60 percent of our budget. Um, we also provide code enforcement. In other words, you have standards for how things should look and function. How do you protect the health and welfare, the safety of people in your buildings um, in code enforcement? Public works, obviously, is streets. And uh, we have other functions of the government, for instance, stormwater control. Uh, stormwater is if you have too much water runoff, then you start having problems with undermining of roads. You have people, businesses can get flooded out. Homes can get flooded out just by heavy rainstorms. And we've seen that happen. We have two roads, in fact, right now that because they have antiquated culverts underneath the road, were uh, overwhelmed by storms and we've had to close those two roads down. Um, we have limited resource to go back and fix those kind of emergency failures, much less trying to get in, out in front of some of the older infrastructure. So we are an older city. And so that's part of the problem. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, uh, services regarding um, you know, our health department. That's a county function. Obviously, our municipal courts is on the city side. We have our own buildings and facilities we have to maintain. You know, the fleet center is a very expensive proposition just because maintaining vehicles is expensive. Uh, but so there's a wide range of things. Anything you see, you do, we take for granted our roads, uh, code enforcement that 
that there's that it's going to be safe to go into a building to be occupy a building or to go to a go to a theater that it's going to have the proper you know fire protection those are the kinds of things you have to have building inspectors you have to have code inspectors uh obviously police and fire all those things are tied up in what a city does to maintain quality of life for its residents there's been a lot of headlines about a labor shortage you know there's and a lot of that is an imbalance of the kind of jobs that we need to fill compared to the kind of skills that people have or maybe that they're interested in doing. Is that affecting the government as well? Is it getting hard? Is it hard to find people? It absolutely is. Uh, Wyandotte County in general, it, it, speaking to some of the business leaders in the community, we have a shortage of 7,500 uh, jobs. Wow. We have, we have the job. We're missing 7,500 people. Um, and of course, a lot of folks are have shifted because of COVID. Um, I think probably a lot of moms, for instance, may have found that when they stayed home with their kids because of the shutdown to schools, decided that they're making it. Uh, maybe they don't need to go back to work and take on that second job for the family. Um, it, that's an interesting shift. I don't know what all the stats are going to prove on that. But uh, clearly, in, in the hiring of the unified government, we've had positions posted for months and not had any takers. We have in our public works, for instance, just trying to cut the grass on our parks and our right-of-ways, we're not able to hire enough people to come in and take those positions, even though uh, the wages are solid and there are benefits. Uh, there are so many opportunities out there um, that people are just not taking us up on the offer. Yeah, that's that's crazy. You know, one of the things I deal with a lot at full scale is tech-related, and there's 6,000 open IT jobs here in Kansas City. Mm. which is crazy. And those are jobs that are more or less unfillable. And it's also a zero sum game. Right. So when one job gets filled, another one just opens. And that has actually uh, widened. Uh, remote work uh, has, has lengthened the tentacles of the coasts. So you have these tech companies in California that normally would have wanted you to move mm. there, but now they've gone remote. So they're kind of picking and, and pulling people out of all kinds of small markets. And, you know, that's a challenge that every city has to deal with. And it's an imbalance between skills. Other things that uh, we found that to be present in is like, you just look at like general trade craft in general, just meaning, uh, you know, welders and carpenters and stuff like that. And there's a, 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 it's for a completely different discussion, but how we're training people vocationally is, is a challenge. Uh, with that, it leads to a lot of companies having to go outside of their geographic area. And that's actually something I'd like to talk about because, you know, there's a complexity that has to exist. It, it does exist for everybody in Kansas City. And once again, for those of you that are listening that aren't from my hometown, so that's about 80% of our audience, uh, there's an invisible line through the middle of our city that on the left side of it, there's one set of rules, laws, taxes, and and someone to answer to. And on the other side, there's a different one. How do you cope with that when it comes to running a government? And, and you know, like, I mean, there's someone that is, lives right around the corner from here that goes to Missouri to work and someone from Missouri that comes over here to work. How, what kind of challenges come with that? Well, from the, from the city level, so we have a residency requirement. So all of our employees uh, are required to live within the bounds of Wyandotte County. And so the difficulty for us then is to recruit individuals who may live elsewhere. And they'd say, well, yeah, I'd like to take on that job in, in Kansas City, Kansas and work, you know, let's say in the unified government. Uh, but uh, if they have to 
sell their home, they have some time, sell their home and relocate to Wyandotte County. That's a hard thing to do. Uh, we find that especially with our police and our law enforcement, uh, sheriff department on the county side, and then our police. Uh, and, you know, especially for jobs that maybe might pay, you know, between thirty-five dollars and $40,000 a year, if you have your kids in schools and you've already got a home, to the, you know, it's a hassle to sell a house and relocate, get your kids into new schools. Uh, that's actually a disadvantage for us to have that residency requirement. And actually, that's something that we're going to be looking at in a systematic way, that residency requirement. How is it affecting the progress of the city? Yeah, I've run into that with different clients that we've talked to in the past that have inquired about our services. And, you know, I employ a bunch of people in the Philippines. And the reason that we even did that was to help provide entrepreneurs with access to the resources they need. And if you can't build what you're trying to sell or you're priced out of the market on it, it's really difficult. And uh, a lot of uh, companies in tech that work for that fulfill government contracts are bound to that same thing. Like if you get X state gives you a contract for the software you want to build, it needs to be built by people that are in the state. Well, the problem is, is there aren't people to do it in a lot of these states. Uh, Three or four years ago, the state of Kansas only graduated 300 computer science graduates, the whole state. That's, that's, and you have companies like Garmin and Cerner that hire that many seats a year or more. Right. And and it, and what it does is it puts a very few number of companies in a really uh, advantageous position for bidding. We've had that with the board of public utilities trying to hire electrical engineers to, you know, yeah. design the, the system and uh, we're competing with major, you know, uh, uh, engineering firms worldwide, you know, Burns and Mac, uh, Black and Beach. Uh, those are companies that have wings all across the world. And we, it's hard for the board of public utilities to compete because again, they also have a residency requirement. I would imagine they have a lot more agility when it comes to hiring, meaning yes. I, I believe <laughs> with city jobs, here's the, here's the price or the salary and, you know, a private company has the ability to outmaneuver and, and change, uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. I want to talk a little bit more about what a mayor actually does, uh, before we do that, once again, with me today, I've got a mayor, the mayor of Kansas city, Kansas, David Alvey, make sure you show up and vote next week on Tuesday. And what's the date on that? November 2nd, November 2nd, November 2nd. So you don't have any, uh, day after Halloween excuses. Or uh, And you can still wear your costume. I think they'll probably let you in. Now, before we get into the second half of the show, once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Okay, so let's take this down to the most basic thing. What does a mayor do? So uh, in depending upon the charter or the, the uh, what basically functions like a constitution for a city, our charter... Uh, We'll say that we have a strong mayor form of government. I think I would differ with that a little bit. Um, but what I, uh, my primary power, if you, it would be that I do control the agenda. And so if there's something that is <clears throat> anything that's not by right, that is, you know, if, if you want to come and do a development by right, you can bring that through the commission. I can't stop that I would, anyway, but I don't have the power to stop that kind of, of, of proposal. But if there's anything that's really kind of discretionary, I have the power to say that's going on the agenda for a commission vote, or if 
or I can say no, and it will not come to a vote. So that's a very important power. Uh, rarely do I actually avoid or prevent anything from coming forward. I'd like things to come forward to the commission, um, but there are some things that either if the commission were to vote for it, it would not be able to be done. I will not bring it forward. I'm not going to waste our time on that. Um, but I think the, the, if you look at the, in a larger sense, what the mayor can do is be that connectivity, right? That I, I need to go out and meet people, try and get out as much as possible, listen to the different groups, uh, try to get to the neighborhoods. Uh, that was the most frustrating thing to me about COVID, uh, not able to get out into the public like I wanted to. Uh, we had actually started a series of meetings not really town hall meetings. They were presentations. We had six of them scheduled that we went out to we scheduled for six different areas of the city to, and, and brought with us, I would do a presentation about where I think the city is and what we need to do, what we're working on, just kind of give a report back to the citizens. But also uh, we had uh, the uh, directors of various departments. That was our uh, uh, taxation, uh, public uh, works, um, code enforcement, police department, sheriff's department, even our board of public utilities were there. We invited school districts to send their representatives there so that citizens could come at that meeting that evening and actually get questions answered immediately. Because sometimes, you know, it's uh, city hall can feel fairly inaccessible. You don't know how to navigate it. You don't know who to go to. You come in you got a question. You're not sure where the question goes. You go to one department, they say, well, that's not really what we do. You need to go over to this department. And you feel like you're getting the runaround when, in fact, that's not the intention. It's just we got to get you to the right place. But we, we, took the, we took the government out of the building, out into the community. And we had two of those, and they were uh, successful for those who were able to attend. They appreciated the chance to talk about code enforcement problems um, or their, uh, their, their evaluation of their property. Uh, but then COVID hit and we had to shut down all those meetings. But I intend to bring those back. Our staff liked doing them. They liked being able to go out and have people come to them directly to have some questions answered and, and really have a conversation with them. They don't have that opportunity often enough. So the, what the mayor can do is kind of really has to look out over the entire city and see the problems and try and navigate that through, bring right people to the conversation to really focus on these things. And again, as I say, to have an honest, straightforward look at the problem. If there are problems that we are causing, we need to work on fixing those. Uh, we can't be defensive. You know, it's, it's not uncommon for institutions to be very, you know, what I would say, self-referential. So let's say we have a policy that we pass, unified government, and the policy comes back to the department, and that's the department that has to implement the policy. And what happens is sometimes departments, and I've found this in schools as well, you tend to write the protocol, the procedures that works for the office, but does not necessarily work for the people it's meant to affect. And you have to change that. It's more than just, it'd be like making a product. Well, this really works for us. Well, the, the, maybe the, the purchaser says, well, that's not the feature I want. Well, that's too bad. This is what works for us. Well, you can't do that, right? And that's a, that's a hard thing to break out of it because when you're engaged in doing your work, you're very focused on doing the work. You don't often have the freedom of time or energy to innovate. And that's a, that's a fundamental problem. I would say that our government actually is probably understaffed. I think especially our management, the directors are 
kind of overwhelmed sometimes with the, the press of problems and have a difficult time stepping back and actually evaluating clearly and saying, well, we can do things better. So one of my jobs as mayor is to give them permission, in fact, to require them to do that. So the, the main difference I find in our charter is that the, we have a clear a professional administration of city services. I do not have any control over any employee in the unified government. I can't require anyone to be hired. I can't require anyone to be fired or disciplined other than with the commission, the county administrator. That's the limit of my authority. We don't do that. It's professional administration. But having said that, I, can, I can't run things, but I can lead. And that's my responsibility is to lead and to show, well, we really need to take care of this. We need to move this way. And the commission then gives the direction to the county administrator, who is then responsible for implementing the, the, the wishes of the, of the commission, who in more or less are responsive to the community. I, I think you guys have done a really effective job of that. Um, people keep asking me why we moved to Kansas City, Kansas. And I've had this conversation with you two years ago about some of that. And it was actually... Uh, that was pre-COVID, and it was your economic development people that invited me to come talk to them, which actually started with Daniel Silva, who's mm -hmm. uh, a chamber, the president of the Chamber of Commerce right across the street from where we're at. And he actually called me up and said, he called our office and said, would you have Matt come down and talk to us about what we're doing wrong? And someone came and asked me that. And I was like, you're going to need to define that. And also tell them how <laughs> candid I am. And uh, she called back and uh, came back in my office and said, they said that's what they really need to hear. So we went down and talked about why, why businesses, but more specifically with downtown KCK. Now, we talked about family history. My dad's office was two doors down from where we're at for 33 years. And the DeCourcy Dairy was at the street, at, at 7th Street, uh, for a while as well. So I've grown up in the area and, you know, there was kind of a labor of love of wanting to bring things back, uh, you yeah. know. And, and I think what we had talked about with, in some cases, was some people just don't want to be first. Hmm, right. And, you know, we moved down here and congratulations, because according to the Kansas City Business Journal, we're one of the fastest growing companies in the city and, yes. and you know, have managed to attract some other people uh, into the building. What else needs to occur to keep attracting businesses to the places that you want? Yeah. Like meaning the places that need a, um, it's hard to, it, you know, so much of this is, is uh, based on an opinion. You know, does a neighborhood need to be revitalized? Does it need a spark? Does it need something? Um, I mean, what do you, what needs to occur to get more businesses and the spots that you want them, not just the spots that are obvious? Well, I think one of the things that we've struggled with in Kansas City, Kansas, because it was in decline for so long, uh, the perception was that if you invested in Wyandotte County, that your investment would ultimately decline in value, especially your, let's say your building uh, now there are certainly lots of buildings that, you know, been occupied. They, they did come in, they're growing their business. Um, but what we've seen in the last 20, 25 years is an improvement in property values. So even in those areas where of, of lot, large numbers of vacated lots, I call them vacated. Um, they were, uh, um, over the years, you know, you could not afford to to borrow money to reinvest in your house, to, to put on a roof, to, to fix the porch. And so those things would decline and ultimately they become blighted and they become an eyesore. You have to take them down, which is an expense to the unified government, frankly. Um, but what we're seeing now is 
uh, more interest. They, they see the fundamentals. We've got to tell the story of the fundamentals. If I'm a business, I'm an investor, a builder, a developer who wants to build new single family or duplexes or, or some apartments, maybe some uh, retail along with that, we've got to show the advantages and we've got to show them that we have affordable property. We were working on a very, an innovation project. I call it an innovation project for sustainable neighborhoods that will be sustainable into the long term. They're going to be beautiful, attractive, environmentally sustainable, financially sustainable for families into the future. And that will continue to attract people to live here. We had, you can have one of two ways. You can have a trajectory that you have stagnant or declining property values, which does not encourage people to come in. Or you can have a stable environment that people say, if I invest $200,000 in a new home or $250,000 in a new home, I know in 10 years, it's going to be worth $275,000 rather than $225,000. If the perception is that we're on decline, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, but if on the other hand, people say, well, this is up and coming, it's, it's going to continue to improve in value that encourages people and that actually attracts and actually helps stabilize the values long-term. Um, we won't get a you know complete jerk upwards, right? It'll be more sustainable. We have plenty of room for, for growth to occur. We have to take advantage of that. Yeah, and in preparation for this, I, uh, yesterday I just went to realtor.com no affiliation with realtor.com, but put in the zip code uh, here. And I mean, you can buy a house for uh, really affordably. Yes. And uh, considering how much attention that has received nationally and how much the property values are in some parts of Kansas City, which has always been known for being affordable and in a lot of right. places just isn't. Now. Right. I mean, for, I mean, it depends on what you consider affordable. Now, if we're comparing to Seattle, then yeah, this is the whole, sure. the whole city is affordable. Same with the comparison to San Francisco. So yeah, uh, you know, another thing we, we discussed uh, was uh, uh, over the years was exactly what you were just mentioning and the stigmatization of an area. And I, I think that I might have, uh, well, it's just kind of the way I roll, but the very first meeting I had with you, I shared a story where someone called me and they were like, why are you going to Kansas City, Kansas? Right. And I said, yeah. well, I've got a meeting we're thinking about. <laughs> and they were like, are you investigating a murder? And I was like, I think you're thinking about a different place. Yeah. I, you know, in my personal experience, I've been coming down here uh, regularly and now come down here even more. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with the area. Yeah. It's just right. it's just fine. There's clearly some patches and places that, um, that could use improvement, but I mean, where is that not the case? Uh, yeah, right. it's the same thing as, as people, well, do you have a problem with this or a problem with that? No different than Kansas city, Missouri, no different than right. anywhere else. And, um, much like any business, I, I, I like to say that if I've learned one thing in 15 years of being an entrepreneur, it's that all businesses have problems. Mm. So a, a city is a, a business as well. Some of them are run really, really poorly. I think that's, you see that happen with a lot of, I don't know, how's Flint, Michigan looking these days? Because, right, you know, right. they, they literally poisoned the whole city trying to circumvent something. And, you right. know, there's, there's some cataclysmic things that occur. Um, all right. So when it comes to being mayor, what's the best thing about being a mayor? The, or I tell people the best part for me of being mayor personally is I... I get to see the good things that so many people are doing throughout the community and I get to be there and highlight those. So I, I prefer to point out the good that other people are doing, because if I make this about me, then, then 
you know, we're, we're lost. It's, yeah, it's, it's not worth it. I, there's not, it's just not worth it because I'm not, and I cannot do everything, but there's so many people doing so many good things. And if those stories aren't told, then really uh, we can't encourage more of that. And so that for me is the best part of it. I get to witness the good that is being done and I get to be there to highlight it, whether to give remarks or do a ribbon cutting or, or just to give some simple words of encouragement. Um, I, I also enjoy, again, I like being in the position where I get to take on the problems that I can see. And, and I think I do a good job of being honest about the problems. I'm not going to back away from them. They are what they are. I didn't cause them. You didn't cause them. Other people didn't cause them, but they do exist. It doesn't do any good to cast about to, to throw blame. Let's just really take this on because we want to make things better for everyone and we want to grow our city. So I enjoy being part of that process uh, as difficult as it is and painful as it can be. I really like taking on the problems. Um, I just learned to be, need to be more patient as we solve these problems. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty simple concept and too many people don't understand it, but you got to focus on the solution, not on the problem. Solutions fix problems. Problems don't fix problems. Uh, with that, uh, anytime you're uh, in a public seat or you, I, I just recorded a video the other day um, about if you have an opinion, you create content, you're an entrepreneur, you're a politician, you're a leader, even if you're just standing somewhere and holding up a sign, people aren't going to agree with you on some level. How do you, uh, how do you handle that? Well, the first thing I try to do is uh, be humble enough to say there Maybe some lit, there is probably a valid criticism or a concern there that I can I am not aware of, was not aware of, and I have to honestly look at that and accept it as legitimate. Um, now there are some things where we I look at it and say, well, no, they just don't understand the facts here. So I try to bring forward the facts that answers whether what that criticism or concern might be, um, and. But again, it's it's that that conversation when you when you actually do engage in a conversation with multiple parties, you're going to have a wide range of opinions and perspectives and you you have to let those come forward. What is really true in a situation will shine forth and it will not be denied. It just, I, I tell people, look, I don't I don't pretend to be anything I'm not. I don't blow smoke. Uh, it doesn't do any good. I am who I am. People will see through it no matter what. Just give it up. Just do what you do. And sometimes I'm not going to be right. Then I'm okay with that uh, because, uh, frankly, I've got five kids and they tell me all the time when I'm, when I'm right and when I'm wrong. Uh, but I think the, the main thing is really to honestly accept those, those questions, those concerns, evaluate them, weigh them to see, all right, is, this, is it really valid? Um, do they not have enough information? Do I not have enough information? And just proceed from there. It's, uh, you know, I look back on the space shuttle. Remember when they had the problem with the, the rings that the Challenger explosion, what caused that? And a very simple explanation. I forget who the astronaut was, who was on the, the panel that reviewed that, that had the, the glass of ice water and put the material in there and said, well, the, what happens is you put this in at this temperature and it's brittle. Why was that not known? He cut right through it, and it was clearly a problem that the engineers had not accounted for. Well, it is what it is. So deal with things as they are instead of what I think they ought to be. What do you think the best approach for someone? Yeah, I, I think so many people 
well, at least for me, the, the, there's a way to get what you want and, and approach things productively. And then there's a way that isn't what's like 30 seconds of advice you could give to anybody listening about approaching government in general with a problem that might need to be solved. Well, again, I think you've got to keep looking at the reality of the thing instead of focusing on that other person's uh, either on my ideas or that person's ideas as mine or as theirs. Take it out of the ego. The, the biggest problem in any organization is when ego jumps in, right? It's, it's about me. It's about where you make it about you. That's when it becomes problematic. And so the best way to move forward is say, we just, what is the problem we're trying to solve? What are the solutions offered to us? and allow the solutions to draw us forward to them. Uh, you can't force it. I, I will not bully anyone. I will not, you know, twist arms. Um, I will simply keep coming back to, well, what I understand of the situation, these are the facts. Uh, these are some possible solutions. Let's do this for the good of all. Not about me, not about you, but for the good of all. All right. So let's, let's shift here. And as we near the end of our time, and let's talk a little bit more about entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's an entrepreneur nature of running for office because you're, you're a startup. Here I am. Um, you know, I've got to start a business. Basically, I've got to raise money. I've got mm -hmm. to do all that. What does that look like for some, anyone that wants to run for office? Well, I think the first thing they need to do is take it seriously. Uh, I've seen many people who believe, hey, I think I would like to do this job. And they may be capable of doing the job. They may have the competencies to do it. But you have to run for the job. You have to get elected. So a lot of people can do the job, but they can't get elected to do it. Some people can get elected, but they can't do the job. Um, and so that's it's there are two different things altogether. Um, but I think you have to take it seriously. You have to understand that you have to really have a, a kind of a, a view or a perspective on uh, what I call the topography, the political topography that's facing you. What are the factors? Who are the forces? Um, what is it that, uh, how do you approach folks? Everybody needs to be approached in a different way. Um, it's, it's, it's a monumental task. It's really, well, I would say it's monumental, but it's very difficult. Um, but uh, what I find is uh you need to be, if you're interested in running for political office, please just get involved at your neighborhood level and move up through the ranks. Um, we've had people who've run to get elected. They really don't have much experience in, in running any organization, running a business. Uh, they are, in my opinion, not the best type of leader because this is, you know, this year our budget is 420 million. Normally it's 360, but we got the ARPA money coming in but it's a $360 million organization. Um, you need to have some capacity to understand budgets. You need to understand, you know, what your role as an elected is, that your role is not to tell, each elected official does not get to tell staff what to do. That's not how our charter works anyway, and shouldn't, because then it, then it just succumbs to political favoritism. We try to keep ours on a professional footing, try and do professional administration. People are trained to do this, let them do their job. Clearly we give them direction and policy. But uh, yeah, it is an entrepreneurial activity. You have to really have the heart, I think, to know why you're doing what you're doing. If you're simply doing it for yourself, ultimately, you're going to fall in love with, the, with your image in the public eye, and you're going to be a slave to that. I think everything you're saying 
comes back to advice that I've given to hundreds of entrepreneurs in person and who knows how many over this podcast, but if you're not passionate about it, mm -hmm. it's you're, you're, well, you're, you're going to resent it. You're, and so, so many people are like, I want to start a business. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I said, well, are you passionate about it? Because if you're not, it gets old in a hurry mm -hmm. and, and you're probably going to quit. Mm -hmm. I mean, realistically, if you're not passionate about your business and, um, you know, that's, it, it becomes a grind in a hurry. And that's the thing that washes so many entrepreneurs out in the beginning. I think a lot of, uh, we, we, uh, normally at the end of my shows and I say the end of my shows, cause I'm not the only host to start a puzzle. Make sure you tune in each week, listen to Kansas city based entrepreneur, uh, and my fellow, uh, tenant here in the building, Andrew Morgans and Marknology. They talk all about, Andrew talks with his guests all about e-commerce and Amazon brand acceleration and make sure to tune in for Lauren Conaway's weekly episode. Uh, Lauren's the founder and CEO of Innovate Her. I've got about 4,000 women in the Kansas City area in that group. She does some really amazing mm -hmm. stuff. But you know, I, I normally end with what we call the founder's freestyle. Now, uh, that's where we kind of sum up what we talked about and what really stood out. We're going to take a, we'll, we'll call this the mayor freestyle. Now, I've never been a mayor. I don't have any desire to run for office. Although I've had quite a few people over my life tell me I should. I just mm -hmm. don't like I really just don't like politics yeah. <laughs> like, to be honest. I don't like, yeah. I don't like talking about them. I find it to be pretty tiresome. And I think it's, it's actually something I advise people to not talk about at work. Um, there's three religion, sex, and politics. You have uh, very little chance of gaining favor mm -hmm. uh, with mm -hmm. who you're talking to. So I, I often encourage people to, to go past that. Uh, so much of what I'm hearing is, well, I, I like what I'm hearing because I think that I want to, you know, a good manager does a great job of making you feel they're important. A great leader does, a, makes you feel important. And I hear a lot of that and I've seen you do it. So that, I mean, that's, that's important. I think a lot of people say the right things and then turn around and don't do anything about it. Um, I mean, w when you look at this conversation, your position, everything that's going on, I mean, what do you think, what are the most, what's the most important thing for you after, if you are reelected? Well, I think the most important thing is again, to continue to look for what is already moving, that is moving forward. What is, what is making who, who, and what programs are making things better? Let's go to those. What is the secret of that? If, if there is a secret, what is what are the fundamentals at play? What are the dynamics? How can those be applied to other kinds of things? Um, you know, I, I love the comparison of, you know, we're, we're really trying to find a way to repopulate, repop bring more people back, establish new households who would then support new businesses, the fundamentals of the market. How do we do that? So we're really considering our uh, housing as an innovation project. We want to search high and low, far and wide, for what works to try and bring new housing that allows families to come in, settle and build wealth for generations. That's, that's the success. That's the secret for success for any good city, good families, good people living in good neighborhoods. That's what builds a sustainable city for the long term. that is fiscally sustainable, that provides quality services and does not overburden people with overly heavy taxation. Well said, well said, and uh, better you to deal with that than me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know, there's something to be said. I, I have an appreciation for uh, anyone that steps up and has to uh, take deflect 
uh, affect and uh, hopefully not neglect. There you go. I just need to see what I did there. That was very nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to use that now. I see a picture. See, of my, I, there's see. a picture of Muhammad Ali, like over to the side. Uh-huh. That hadn't, so I kind of had to channel the champ there. But no, I think that that's important. Um, once again, with me today, Mayor David Alvey, Kansas City, Kansas. There's an election November 2nd. Show up. If you don't vote, if you don't vote, you don't, you shouldn't be complaining when you don't get what you want because you definitely can decide who, when, and where fills up those seats and populates uh, that office. Mayor, best of luck to you in next Tuesday's election. Thank you. I sure appreciate the time and, and thanks to all the listeners. Yep. Look, looking forward to having you back soon. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.